It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, January 19th. I'm Claudio Mendonca and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. California has just recorded more than 7 million COVID-19 cases, adding 1 million cases in a week. The California report shares how ambulance services and hospitals have adjusted to the surge before exploring how the federal government's new at-home COVID test program works. After regional news and weather, science correspondent Al Stoller talks with astrophysicist Christina Cohen about the Parker Solar Probe, the first spacecraft to have ever flown through our sun's corona. We close with a commentary by Debbie Gibbs. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. California has marked another grim pandemic milestone, recording more than 7 million COVID-19 cases. This comes only a week after the state hit 6 million virus cases, which makes this the fastest accumulation of infections since the beginning of the pandemic. Public health officials say the sheer contagiousness of the Omicron variant has supercharged the caseload numbers. And although Omicron isn't as deadly as past COVID variants, the number of infections has contributed to an increased death rate. For the most recent seven-day period, California saw 106 deaths a day, up from 55 daily deaths in the last week of 2021. The Omicron surge has also jammed hospital emergency rooms with patients. Many of them arrived by ambulance, creating long waits. But as KPC's Jackie Fortier reports, Los Angeles County says ambulance response times have improved. During the Omicron surge, as demand for medical care has climbed, the wait for an ambulance has been longer than normal. Kathy Chedister directs L.A. County's Emergency Medical Services Agency. She says response times are getting better. The state sent temporary strike teams and staff, which has helped to bring ambulance wait times down from 20 minutes to about 15. We've also, from the state, have gotten some staff to be at the hospitals in the emergency departments to help offload patients at the hospitals. So those are good things right now, but we're still not out of this crisis mode that we're in. She says two-thirds of hospitals in L.A. County are so busy they rotate which can accept emergency patients from ambulances, a process known as diversion. Meanwhile, COVID cases among healthcare workers are increasing, leading to staffing shortages across the system. Officials report a 30 percent increase in healthcare worker cases in the first half of the month. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. Meanwhile, in San Diego County, two major hospitals there have declared internal disasters. That means conditions have become so challenging in emergency rooms that patient care might be affected. The San Diego Union-Tribune reports county officials are working to help ease the burden at Scripps Mercy Hospital Chula Vista and Sharp Chula Vista Medical Center by transferring patients to other facilities. The new federal program that allows people to order free at-home tests through the mail launched yesterday, one day early. The order form looks pretty simple, but wasn't easy for everyone who tried to submit orders. KQED's digital team is keeping a close eye on developments around this test option. And for more, we're joined by KQED's Carly Severn. So the big news here seems to be that the program launched a bit early, right? 
Yeah, it was meant to be today on Wednesday and it actually soft launched in beta on Tuesday. And it's funny because this exact same thing happened for the state's MyTurn site that was rolling out to bring vaccines uh, widely across the state. So a little bit of deja vu here for California. All right. So people are listening to us. They want to get one of these tests ASAP. How do they do it? How does ordering work? So this is meant to be four free tests for every household. So what you do is you go to covidtests.gov. It's a very straightforward form that you order these tests through USPS. It is totally free. You don't have to give any payment, any credit card details. Also, you don't have to give any ID or any insurance information. You can, however, give an email address if you want to receive shipping notifications from USPS via email. You get a tracking number and you can keep tabs on your order. So I want to be very clear about that. There's no additional information that you have to fork over to Uncle Sam to get a test. No, it is surprisingly simple. It really is only a couple of fields, your name and your residential address. And in terms of the tests you can order, one key thing here to keep in mind is that they're counting addresses and not the number of people at a particular address, right? That's right. And I think that's really important for folks to understand because you might naturally understand this as four tests per person or four tests per family. And that is not the case. It is four tests for every residential address. And of course, this has ramifications. This means that multiple orders to the same address under different names won't be processed. This is going to affect a lot of people. We were seeing people talking about this on Tuesday. Number one, roommates. A ton of people throughout the state share their home with a lot of people. And also there's multi-generational households. 2018's US census data actually shows that California was second in the nation for having multi-generational households. Realistically, this may mean that for you and your household, it's not going to be enough to cover everyone. Okay. I want to underscore this. We're talking as this program is just starting to roll out, but has there been a reaction yet? It's been mixed. I've been looking online. For everyone that's impressed by the simplicity of the ordering process, how you know staggeringly easy it is comparatively, there's folks who say, yeah, but this is a long time coming. Why didn't we get this two years ago? Also, some folks have been flagging very real issues with getting their tests delivered straight to their homes because you're not allowed to get them sent somewhere else to pick up. It has to come straight to your home. I've been seeing comment from people whose address where they live is actually connected to a commercial building. So that is getting flagged by USPS as a commercial address and thus ineligible to get the test. I say all this in the hope that this will change soon. When it launched early on Tuesday, the site was in beta. It was in what they call limited capacity. And who knows, we may see things improve really quickly. I hope so. Got it. And are these tests the same or not from the ones I can get my insurer to reimburse? So this is a different program. So as of January 15th, as of the weekend, people with private health insurance can actually get those at-home antigen tests that they've been buying at places like Walgreens, at CVS. They can get reimbursed by their insurer for the cost of those and the cost of up to eight at-home COVID tests a month. So each private health insurer is going to have slightly different ways of you doing that. So check with your insurer about how you get your money. That's KQED's Senior Engagement Editor, Carly Severn. You can find more updates on this new test option at kqed.org. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together on the web at schmidtfutures.com. 
Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing defendable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits, stanfordhealthcare.org slash adapting care. And the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, January 19th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Locally, Nevada County reported one new COVID fatality and 396 new lab-confirmed COVID-19 cases today. 1,779 cases are active and 25 cases are listed as active hospitalizations. According to KCRA3 of Sacramento, nearly 21 million high-quality N95 masks have gone out to county boards of education across California over the past 10 days, and millions more kid-sized KN95 masks could be arriving as soon as the end of the week. Cal OES has partnered with the state's Department of Education for the distribution, and so far, 51 of the state's 58 counties have made the requests. Quote, the numbers sent out are a direct result of what county education departments asked for, says Cal OES spokesperson Brian Ferguson. Last week, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention advised that people, quote, wear the most protective mask you can that fits well and that you will wear consistently. N95 respirators that fit properly can filter up to 95% of particles in the air, but they have not been tested for broad use in children. Ferguson said that several million more KN95 masks that are a better fit for kids are going out this week. The article goes on to say that Nevada County has received over 46,000 masks, Placer County received almost 300,000, Sacramento County got over 950,000, and Yuba County got just over 61,000. In a statement released today, Nevada County announced that the Nevada County Community Library has put a pause on all in-person library services and will return to curbside and front door pickup only starting tomorrow, Thursday, January 20th. This decision was made in response to rising COVID-19 cases here in Nevada County. All circulating library branches will provide curbside and front door pickup service during their regular open hours. Patrons of the Grass Valley, Madeline Helling, and Truckee Libraries can place an order for pickup at their favorite location from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. Penn Valley Library patrons can pick up any time between 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday. For those individuals seeking a later pickup or a Saturday option, the Bear River Library will have this service available Tuesdays and Wednesdays, 4 to 7 p.m., and Saturdays, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. For more information on library services and events, please visit mynevadacounty.com slash 290 slash library, or call your local library branch. According to a release from UC Davis, students from four area colleges and universities will be learning and earning as they serve community organizations through the new Californians for All College Corps. The Sacramento Valley Consortium, led by the University of California at Davis, will receive up to $16.1 million over two years to recruit and train about 1,000 students and match them with internships at community organizations. 
The other members are Sacramento State, Sacramento City College, and Woodland Community College. The consortium is part of a program announced Tuesday as the largest state-level investment in a college service program in California history. Its four members are among 45 colleges and universities selected as inaugural partners for the program, slated to involve 6,500 students over two years. Through College Corps, students who serve 450 hours or 15 hours a week over an academic year will receive a $7,000 stipend and, on completion, a $3,000 education award. The consortium will also offer a two-credit experiential learning course, professional development support, and financial literacy workshops. Internships are scheduled to start in fall 2022, and a process for applying will be announced later. Turning now to regional weather in Nevada City and Grass Valley, tonight clear with a low around 41, tomorrow sunny with a high near 61. In Truckee and the Lake Tahoe region, tonight mostly clear with a low around 17, tomorrow mostly sunny with a high near 49. And in Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight patchy fog between 11 p.m. and 4 a.m., otherwise mostly clear with a low around 39. Tomorrow, patchy fog before 10 a.m., otherwise mostly sunny, with a high near 60. Last year, a NASA spacecraft flew through the sun's upper atmosphere, a giant leap for solar science. Tonight, Al Stoller speaks with Dr. Christina Cohen, a Caltech astrophysicist, about this new milestone. For several years now, a spacecraft, the Parker Solar Probe, has been spiraling down, getting closer and closer to a star, closer and closer to our sun. Last spring, the probe got more than just close. For the first time in Earth history, a spacecraft flew into a star into the sun. I spoke with Dr. Christina Cohn of Caltech. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah, we're in a region that we've never explored before. We're not quite sure what to expect. Anytime you're involved in a project that is going somewhere that humanity has never gone before, things you've been thinking about for a long time Finding out whether you've sort of guessed correctly or whether you've really got it all wrong. You know, we're usually not way, way off base, but almost inevitably there's something that we weren't anticipating and we are very puzzled the first time we look at it. The surface of the sun is so hot, atoms cannot survive. Glance up at the sun. That glow comes not from whole atoms, but bits and pieces of atoms flying about on the sun and also flying out of the sun into the solar system. They get inside the protective magnetic shield that we have around the Earth and change the atmosphere so that radio signals don't behave the way we expect. We have radio blackouts where we can't communicate with radio at all. Phones, aircraft, ATM machines, all on GPS. If those energetic particles hit those GPS spacecraft, they can cause disruptions in the electronics and if those go down, even briefly, it can cause problems. These particles weigh next to nothing, but they're shot into space with incredible energies, and no one entirely understands 
just how the sun can shoot them out so fast. It likely involves electricity and magnetism. The sun is threaded with a spider's web, bazillions of spider webs, composed of twisting, stretching lines of magnetic force. Every 11 years, the sun's magnetism builds to a max. In just a few years, if we get lucky, we might see, naked eye, magnetic spider webs painting dark sunspots on the face of the sun. And this likely relates to how the sun hurls particles with such high energies. What is giving the particles that kick from slow, which really isn't slow, it's millions of miles per hour, but what we call slow to much faster. One of the things that we think is happening, magnetic fields, certain magnetic fields are reconnecting with other magnetic fields to kind of change the shape of the magnetic field structure. Kind of like stretching a rubber band until it snaps back. Yes. And when you do that, you can transfer energy that was stored in those magnetic fields to the particles and you can give them a kick. We see that in other places in the universe, but we've never actually been able to be there when it happens. Answering these questions requires getting up close to the sun, which poses an obvious risk. The engineers designed this thermal protection shield. Without it, the spacecraft would just melt. But the probe cannot get careless. You have to keep that shield between the sun and the spacecraft until you get far enough away that it's no longer a danger. At which point, and only then, can the spacecraft turn itself toward Earth and download what it had seen close up. It's a huge amount of data. The next data dump that comes in, I'm sure we'll all be up late waiting for those data to come down. Since I spoke with Christina, that data dump has come down, and scientists have been going through it to figure out what it means. One hopes that the data reveal that the probe has gone even deeper into the sun. I'll have more about that when another report is issued. Speaking with Dr. Christina Cohn of the Space Radiation Lab at Caltech, for KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. We close tonight with a commentary by Debbie Gibbs, a Grass Valley native that operates a small ranch in Nevada County. Our winter storm of 2021 reminds me that disasters often create heroes, and stories abounded of heroic efforts within our community with people pitching into clear trees, share food with neighbors, and provide fuel to those with no heat. Good on all for their selfless efforts to help. The storm showed the extent of local ingenuity as households improvised. Nextdoor and Facebook were filled with reports of effectiveness and shortfalls of solar panels with backup batteries, fossil fuel generators and acquiring fuel, and the tried and true wood stove with a stash of firewood. For many, this was their longest experiment in careful management of energy use to maintain a basic level of comfort and reinforce the need for each household to prepare for emergencies in advance. And it certainly identified deficiencies in our energy-related network. UBANET provided an excellent article on January 10th, Hot Wash, Critical Vulnerabilities Laid Bare by Winter Storm. But the thing about conquering a disaster is that the objective is clear, the need is evident, and one can take control and make visible progress. However, Averting a disaster is a far more difficult task. While Mother Nature can be reckoned with, human nature is actually a bit more complex and challenging. And we have a looming disaster right now with our power grid. It failed us. The reasons are many, but future disasters are likely. 
The grid, or more correctly, the three grids that exist in our country are outdated and inadequate for our increasing need for electricity generated from renewable sources. The grid operates on a just-in-time basis. Storage of electricity is in its infancy, so we currently must rely on an antiquated grid with fossil fuels, hydropower, or nuclear power to fill in the gaps when electrical demand cannot be met. As we move to renewables, as we must, it is a colossal task to construct the transmission lines to move power from where it is most economically produced to where it is needed. For too long, we have relied on big companies, big government, and big solutions to serve our individual needs via a centralized system with tentacles to every part of our community. For the future, we need to rethink this blueprint, which is so vulnerable to calamities. It may make more sense to decentralize our production of power instead of depending on large facilities and massive distribution lines. I'm talking about solar power on a house or in a neighborhood solar farm with backup storage, or the adoption of a community choice aggregation program to provide us with greater control of where we acquire our power. The technology is here, but I believe we must fight hard against big money interests and the allure of a corporate solution that is easy for government to adopt. In the end, ratepayers will pay the freight. It behooves us all to pay attention, stay informed, think outside the box, and communicate our ideas and preferences. Citizen efforts to find and implement solutions are evolving and gaining steam. Nevada County Climate Action Now and Sierra Business Council's CAMP are examples of local organizations that are rolling up their sleeves to tackle the various dimensions of climate change. Visit their websites for more information. Many more heroes are welcome and needed to avert disasters and help secure a source of dependable, reasonably priced, environmentally safe electricity for the future. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the speaker only, and not necessarily those of KVMR, its staff, management, board, or contributors. That's our newscast for this evening. You can listen to it again on our website, kvmr.org, or by subscribing to the KVMR News Podcast. KVMR gets support from listeners just like you and from Ben Franklin Crafts, locally owned and showcasing the beauty of winter and Christmas. For arts and crafts, home decor, school projects, and knitting, Ben Franklin Crafts on Sutton Way, Grass Valley online at benfranklin-crafts.com. And Serino's at Main Street, serving Italian cuisine since 1983. Open Wednesday through Sunday, 11 to 10 p.m. for lunch and dinner. Offering private dining snugs for customer safety and comfort. Information, serino's at mainstreet.com. Stay close. Up next on The Sages Among Us, Host Keith Porter will interview Dr. Matthew Muhlenhoff, founder of Sierra Derm Center for Dermatology. Then, at 7 p.m., we bring you Democracy Now! Tonight, Amy Goodman speaks with scholars Angela Davis, Gina Dent, and Beth Ritchie. 
Thanks very much for listening and for supporting independent local media. I'm Claudio Mendonça. Have a good evening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.